Welcome to the Piano Rhapsody Podcast, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow my journey as an amateur piano player, striving to play Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue one day. Every week, we dissect a piece that I encounter along the road, exploring the history surrounding the work and the music within. Hopefully, at the end of the day, we all leave with a little more knowledge that we can use to appreciate music just a little bit more. This is episode 7.3, the third episode in a series spotlighting the Romantic period and the life's work of Chopin. Although Chopin wrote almost exclusively for the piano, he wrote in a variety of forms. We've already talked about polonaises and nocturnes, so today let's check out something different. Let's take a look at another one of Poland's national dances, the mazurka. The mazurka is a musical form that was popular in the early 19th century and based on a Polish folk dance. They are in 3-4 meter, which makes them similar to other dances around this era, like the waltz and the polonaise. This one, however, has a specific feel that delays the strong beat to the second or third beat. Or in other words, the first beat is kept very busy, while the others keep time. Composers do this by cramming the first beat with quicker notes, naturally putting an emphasis on the other two. Here are some examples. Like with eighth notes on the first beat. Or with a dotted eighth note. with a triplet. And there are other ways composers can successfully accomplish this as well, but these are probably the three most common. The term mazurka is based off of the Polish word for the people of the Matsovia region and could explain the origin for this type of dance. Chopin wrote over 50 mazurkas, and was the principal composer of these works during the Romantic period. Some say that this genre belongs to Chopin, and will even reference them as Chopin mazurkas. Writing mazurkas was one of the ways in which Chopin remembered his homeland of Poland, wherever he was living at the time. He never stopped writing mazurkas throughout his life, and the collection of mazurkas are the best compositional record we have of Chopin's life, because he wrote them consistently. Actually, the last two works that Chopin completed were mazurkas, effectively bookending his career and life. Now, why was Poland so dear to Chopin, even though he lived in France for a good chunk of his adult life? Well, we already talked about Chopin's upbringing a bit in the 7.1 episode, Chopin's mother was Polish, but his father was French, living in Poland, teaching French language and literature. Even with his father's French origins, he demanded that his children speak Polish in the house, and encouraged Polish nationalism. This helped foster Chopin's sense of national loyalty and pride. A turning point came when Chopin was 20, with a deep political divide in Poland. The Russian Grand Duke at the time, Nicholas I, 
crowned himself king of Poland, and did a lot of stereotypical bad leader stuff. Like unleashing secret police, abolishing the press, imposing taxes, and closing universities. He even deported artists like Miskowitz, Poland's most famous poet. The last straw on this camel's back was when Nicholas I used Poland's army against the French to suppress a revolution which overthrew the current French monarch and put Louis-Philippe on the throne. This raised the tension between the Russians and the Poles to its breaking point. With this political unrest in the background, Chopin decided to leave Warsaw to take a European musical tour, traveling through stops like Dresden, Vienna, Salzburg, and Munich. He frequented the opera and learned about the local music scene. His friends gifted him a silver cup filled with soil from his hometown, allowing him to always have a little piece of home with him. Which was a nice gift, because Chopin would never return to his homeland of Poland. While Chopin was away, a group of Polish conspirators at the officer's school led an attack on Constantine's palace on November 29, 1830, an event known as the November Uprising. Constantine escaped this assassination attempt, allegedly fleeing while disguised in women's clothing, which caused the rebellion to fail and drastically worsened the political unrest in Poland. Fights broke out in the streets, even in the cemetery where Chopin's younger sister was buried. Chopin's friends and family wrote to him, advising him that it was not safe to come home. Instead, they wrote, Use your music to provide a voice for Poland. From here on, Chopin began to be known as the poet of captive Poland. It came at a cost, however. While Chopin's friends were fighting in the uprising, and his family was trapped within a battleground, he was alone, countries away, with an expired passport. He wrote many letters during this time to deal with his homesickness. He detailed days filled with parties, dinners, theater, and opera, and then rather poetically described his night schedule. I play the piano, have a good cry, read, look at things, have a laugh, get into bed, blow out my candle, and always dream about you all. This separation of friends, family, and countryside left a hole in Chopin that he never quite managed to fill, which is reflected in the melancholic tone across a majority of his work. He wrote to a friend that a gloomy harmony arose within me, a complex emotional cocktail brewed in Chopin, a mixture of rage against those who infiltrated his country, a sense of vengeance, fear for the safety of his family and friends, and self-loathing because he was powerless to stop it. Not a tasty mix. Bitter, salty, and burns all at the same time. Like a whiskey and grapefruit juice with a dash of Tabasco. Ugh. Chopin wrote, My heart died for a while. No words can describe my misery. No words, perhaps, but Chopin poured out his grief through the piano. 
During this time of political upheaval, Chopin wrote opus numbers 6 and 7, two sets of mazurkas. Opus 6 contained 4, and opus 7 contained 5. These mazurkas are not dances for the feet, but dances for the soul. Chopin himself described them as mazurkas about mazurkas. They were written as recollections of his homeland. To actually dance to them would take their spirit away. These feelings of nostalgia drip from every page, exhibiting an emotional headspace that Chopin could only use the Polish word zhao to describe. This word can be translated into English through words like longing, regret, nostalgia, melancholy, and grief. But no single word can effectively sum up this state of mind. So let's take a look at one of these mazurkas from this period, a time when Chopin was exiled from his homeland of Poland and trying to cope with the devastating news of the Russian invasion. The mazurka we're going to look at today is the second piece from Opus 7, Mazurka and A Minor. The mazurkas are some of Chopin's less technical works, but they are demanding in musicality and interpretation. This piece is no different. It's not very technically demanding, and may often be misconstrued as easy. But even Liszt himself said that only an ass could think this is easy. So this not-easy mazurka, I don't want Liszt to roll over in his grave, opens with a few examples of different mazurka rhythms. Have a listen first, and then we'll break them down. So in that clip, we actually heard two different mazurka rhythms, where we have a busy first beat, followed by an emphasized second and third beat. The first example utilizes a dotted eighth note rhythm. And the second utilizes a triplet rhythm in the first beat. These rhythms distinguish this piece as a mazurka, even if the tone of the piece does not actually encourage dancing. Keep in mind, Chopin wrote these as mazurkas about mazurkas. These are nostalgic memories of the actual dance. Another aspect that makes these mazurkas quintessential Chopin. Quintessential Chopin, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> anyway is his use of chromaticism, like we saw last week in the episode with the Nocturne. Listen to this part. So if we break this section down, we'll see that there are actually three voices here, all using a descending chromatic progression, dropping down one note at a time. One in the left hand. And 
and the right hand alternates between two different descending chromatic voices. The first one is up high, and the second one is a little lower. So when we combine these right hand voices, we get this. Now let's throw the left hand back in and we can have all three voices all together chromatically descending. Chromaticism like this is not only a signature of Chopin, but a mark of the Romantic period in general. From here, the mazurka enters its B segment by flipping the switch on the key from A minor to A major. Let's hear that transition. And now that we're in a major key, the piece has a great section where we hear measure after measure of mazurka rhythms in a consecutive stream of six measures in a row. This is the closest that this mazurka gets to the traditional dance. The form of this mazurka is in ternary form of ABA. So having said that, we can expect a return to the A section from here. And that's what we get, an exact reflection back in the original key of A minor, which is also how the piece ends, on the home chord of A minor. Let's have a listen to this nostalgia trip, recalling a traditional Polish dance. This is Chopin's Opus 7, Number 2, Mazurka in A minor.
You know, we haven't had a two-for-one week in a while, and Chopin might just be my favorite composer. So we're going to give the spotlight some special attention. Since we've already heard one of Chopin's first mazurkas, a work from Opus 7, now let's take a look at one of the last mazurkas, and actually one of the last compositions that Chopin ever wrote. Mazurka in G minor, from Opus 67. Opus 67 is a posthumous work, published in 1855, and contains a set of four mazurkas. It's likely that these four mazurkas were part of a collection of Chopin's unpublished works that he asked to be burned after his death. Fortunately for us, Chopin's sister Ludwika refused to burn them, and now we have more of Chopin's mazurkas. This one in particular is quite beautiful and a standout of the entire set. It is speculated that Chopin wrote this mazurka after returning from a concert tour of England and Scotland in early 1948, the year before Chopin died. In a letter to his good friend Wojciech Grzmawa around this time, Chopin wrote, I feel alone, 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 though surrounded. Keep that in mind for the context of this mazurka. This piece is also in the ternary form of ABA. The A section is carried by a simple melody decorated by grace notes. Did you hear some examples of the mazurka rhythm in there? The grace notes might be throwing you off, so let me take those out and have a listen again. We have a couple instances of eighth notes on the first beat. You'll hear that rhythm quite a bit throughout this mazurka. The B section contains a switch in rhythm to a triplet feel. Did you catch that triplet mazurka rhythm? Then we get a section featuring chromaticism, just like the previous mazurka. This time, the chromaticism happens within the inner voice of the right hand, which can be difficult to hear, so let me isolate it for you. See if you can pick out that descending chromatic voice as we listen to this whole section. Up next, we get something unique. I have a complete collection of Chopin's mazurkas, 
and I've scanned the music for all of them, and do not see a passage quite like this one. Chopin decides to have the right hand voice a single melodic line all by itself. No left hand, no accompaniment. This moment gives a musical voice to Chopin's letter, stating, I feel alone, 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 though surrounded. It's a moment of simplicity that may have taken a lifetime of composition to write. I think it's interesting that this moment appears in one of Chopin's final compositions. Like it's Chopin's own way, saying goodbye. The A section makes a final return to round out this mazurka and bring it all home with the final chord of G minor. Let's take one more nostalgic trip to the homeland and listen to Chopin's posthumous opus 67, number two, mazurka in G minor.
And there we have it. Two mazurkas to bookend Chopin's legacy. Arguably the most personal collection of works in Chopin's oeuvre. Lamentations of Missing Home. Next week, we're going to conclude our survey of Chopin's works with one of his waltzes. And we'll discuss Chopin's greatest heartbreak. Poor guy, couldn't catch a break. The standalone recording of these mazurkas can be found directly in the podcast feed. If you'd like to hear more, check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for the recordings of all the pieces heard on this podcast and more, including another one of Chopin's mazurkas that didn't make this episode. If you're interested in taking your classical music knowledge from the piano to the orchestra, please consider checking out the link in the episode details for a free two-month trial of Prime Phonic a classical music streaming service with over 3 million tracks to choose from. It also helps out this podcast, so I appreciate the support. Another way to support this podcast for free is to click on subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen. If you'd like to reach out to me, find and follow me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody, or feel free to email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for your time and your ears, and I'll talk to you again next week to close out our talk about Chopin.